the difficulties of the imperatives that he's given to this marginalized community. But he knows that they can do it through the spirit of God because of the indicative. So my biggest takeaway from the book of James is for us to embrace the indicative. It is for us as the people of God, as the children of God, to live our lives in light of the indicative. Again, from scripture, the indicative. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price. The imperative. So glorify God in your body. The indicative. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The imperative. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. My brothers and sisters, what this demonstrates to us is that God has not called us to do anything that he has not equipped us to do. In the black church where I came from, where I was born and bred, the black church says it this way. If God will bring you to it, then God will bring you through it. And so, my brothers and sisters, I need you to understand this today. I need you, Village Church, I need you to embrace the indicative. My brothers and sisters, you are the righteousness of God. You are beautifully and fearfully and wonderfully made. You are the image of God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. You are the beloved of God. You are friends of Christ. You are the sons and daughters of King Jesus. My brothers and sisters, embrace this reality so that the Spirit of God can equip you to perform the imperatives of the faith. James is not calling us to do something that we cannot do. An unbeliever can't do this. This is only something that we can do as the people of God. So this sermon today is, is actually a continuation of the sermon that I preached a couple of weeks ago. A, a week, a couple of weeks ago. And I want to continue to drive home the same point that I made in that sermon a couple of weeks ago. What was the point? You're going to remember it when I say it, if you heard the last sermon. But the point is that God has sovereignly ordained the prayers of spirit-filled righteous people to be the agency of healing and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. God has sovereignly ordained the prayers of spirit-filled righteous people to be the agency of healing and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Like I told you last time, my preaching professor, Dr. Robert Smith Jr. from Beeson, told me I'm Trinitarian, so i got to say it three times. God has sovereignly ordained the prayers of spirit-filled righteous people to be the agency of healing and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the last sermon, we considered how the church can be the agency of actual physical body 
physical bodily healing. And today we're going to consider how the church is also the agency for eternal spiritual healing as well. My brothers and sisters, as you are embracing the indicative, I want to today underscore your importance to the body of Christ. I want you to understand that God has ordained that salvation is not available. It is not attainable in the world without the church, without you. Now, some of y'all might have flinched when I said that, but I want you to understand how integral and how important you are to the kingdom of God and more and more pointedly speaking, how important and how integral you are to the covenant family of God, which is his bride, the church. Now, my brothers and sisters, I want to make my point very clear today. Salvation is entirely the work of the triune God. God the Father sent God the Son, who took on flesh as the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the church. Then... God the Father and God the Son sent the Spirit of God, who is the guarantee of our salvation until we attain it in full in the new heavens and new earth. So from start to finish, Alpha, Omega, Genesis to Revelation, God orchestrates and ordains every single minute detail of every single person's faith journey. It is a work of the triune God. Faith and repentance are gifts that come from God and God alone. No one, absolutely no one, receives faith and no one receives repentance until and unless the triune God grants it. We, as the church, do not grant people faith and repentance. I want to make that clear. That work belongs, again, to God only. But God has sovereignly ordained the church to be the agency of his salvation. In my last sermon, I gave an illustration of a lumberjack who uses an axe to chop down a tree. Okay? So, it is both appropriate and uh, and acceptable to say that the lumberjack chopped down the tree and the axe chopped down the tree. It's acceptable to say both. Or... I'll use this uh, illustration. Now, this one kind of, you know, breaks down a bit uh, because of the nature of the illustration. Uh, So I hope you will understand that. But oftentimes uh, you you hear about a soldier or, um, you know, uh, someone who uh, was a victim of, of gun violence. And you'll hear the phrase, the person was killed by gunfire. 
They don't say that the person was murdered, um, but it is both acceptable and appropriate to say the person was killed by someone and the person was killed by gunfire. So in light of that, we are the agents of salvation in the earth. So in the illustration of the lumberjack, God is the lumberjack. He's the first cause. We are the acts in his hand that is being swung. The act of being swung is the message of the gospel. The tree being chopped down is faith and repentance that has been granted. So again, this is a work that is only attainable and available within or from the church. That means that salvation is not available in any other sphere. There is no salvation to be found in government. There is no salvation to be found in the marketplace. Salvation is found only in Christ's church. You might get saved at work. You might even get saved by talking to a politician. It can happen. But it won't be because they're connected to those spheres, those spheres. It'll be because they are connected to the covenant family of God. They are connected to the triune God. And whether uh, salvation is granted or the gospel is preached uh, through the church scattered or the church gathered, salvation is only available in and through Christ's church simply because God has ordained it to be that way. And I know somebody who um, is really smart and they, they, they think about the Bible a lot. They'll probably say, but what about Paul? Like Jesus just appeared and just knocked Paul off of his horse and salvation was granted to him there. And I'd say, hmm, it's a good. That's good. That's really good. But if we look at the book of Acts and if we look at the stoning of Stephen, the person who held the coats and the cloaks of the people who were stoning Stephen was a guy by the name of Saul. And this guy who was Saul is the same person who became the apostle Paul. Before Stephen was stoned, he preached and articulated one of the most beautiful um, instances of the gospel in the New Testament. So this is an example of the church scattered bringing salvation to a to an individual paul is not an exception to the rule it was the church scattered that brought uh, salvation to paul he heard the gospel and was subsequently saved on the damascus road because he had already heard the gospel at least one time so my brothers and sisters there are no exceptions to the rule if people are going to be saved it is going to be because the church is living in light of the indicative to go and, and activate their faith in the imperative. Now, in these verses, uh, 
James uh, anticipates that there may be people who are in the faith or who are in the community of faith, rather, who walk away from the community of faith. So verses 19 and 20 give us a picture that the Christian faith is like a journey on a path. We see the same idea in Matthew 7. In Matthew 7, we see uh, the straight gate and the narrow path. And the wanderer that we see here in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 5, the wanderer, is, the wanderer in this case is someone who knows the path. They can see the path clearly. They have a decent understanding of the path, but somehow they become distracted and are tempted to take a different path than the true path. And what's interesting here is that James takes a very pastoral and understanding tone at the end of the letter concerning people who wander away from the truth. I believe it's because James understands two things, which are demonstrated throughout the letter. First, I believe um, this shows us that James understands that people may walk away from the truth because it is hard to endure trials. That's why he starts the book the way that he does. James understands that when people suffer And when people are marginalized, that they may be tempted to leave the community of faith. And earlier in the letter, James talks about how um, people showing partiality to the very people who are likely pushing them to the margins of society. They do this in order to gain favor in their sight. And now before you look down with your spiritual selves, (laughs) on a person who may have a season where they wander away from the faith, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these people to whom James penned this letter. I want you to take on their experiences. These diaspora Jews are away from their homeland. They are scattered abroad. They are being persecuted and pushed to the margins of society. Some of them probably don't have money. Some of them have likely been separated from their families. And the only thing that they have to do is live in accordance with people who don't share the same faith as them to get everything they could have ever dreamed of. That's not too far of a step. And if you think that it is, I bid you to get off your high horse. Because the reality is that these people were persecuted. They were pushed down. They were pushed to the margins of society. And James understands 
that that's a temptation. And so he takes a very pastoral tone with him. The second thing that I believe James understands is that he understands the supernatural power that God has ordained for the church. James knows that God has sovereignly ordained the prayers of spirit-filled righteous people to be the agency of healing and salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. So James is displaying an, an incredible pastoral and shepherding heart in these last two verses. Let me make it to you. Let me, let me make it a little bit more plain uh, for us. A couple days ago, I watched a documentary about um, the persecution and the, the false accusation of witches in the 15th century in the United Kingdom. And uh, what would happen, apparently, is that uh, women would be um, charged with being witches um, because they would have these uh, special home remedies uh, to treat illnesses. And what would happen is people from the community would get these women and would persecute them and torture them until they admitted to doing something that they otherwise couldn't have possibly done. And so imagine this level of persecution being meted out to people. It's understandable why some would take the decision to desert the faith. But James understands that even though some may make the decision to desert the, the faith, he also understands that God has ordained the church and has given us the authority and the ability to turn our brothers and sisters back. Now, there's another elephant in the room that arises from these verses. Some may read verses 19 and 20, and in light of seeing someone wandering from the faith, they may ask, is James teaching that we can lose our salvation? Some of you, some of you online as well may be asking, is James teaching that we can lose our salvation? And I want to encourage you that that is a good question. But I also think maybe the wrong question to ask of this particular text. I think the question that arises from the text is actually if James is guaranteeing that if we pursue sinners, that it guarantees that faith and repentance will be granted to them. And my brothers and sisters, the answer to both of those questions is simply no. But to answer the question that inevitably, like I said, becomes the, the elephant in the room, can we lose our salvation? I want to say we as Christ followers cannot lose our salvation because it's not ours to keep. In John 6, verse 37, Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Jesus also tells us in John 10, verse 28, 
I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So the force of James' thought in these verses is actually not concerning whether a person can lose their salvation or not. Rather, James is focused on demonstrating the importance of the covenant family of God as the agency of faith and repentance. So these two verses are James's final call to his brothers and his sisters to embrace the indicative, to activate the faith that they have been granted. Yes, it's granted. Christians may in fact fall into seasons of heinous and grievous sins, but they can't stay there. They cannot stay there because God uses the covenant family of God to preserve and to help us to persevere and to help us to hold one another accountable by continuously calling one another to faith and repentance under the truth of the gospel. Second Corinthians chapter five tells us that the church, you and me and Christians past and the covenant family of God past, it tells us that the church has been given the message and the ministry of reconciliation. Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20 shows us that the church has been given Christ's authority to make disciples. So do you understand that you have Christ's authority? Do you understand that you are a Christ ambassador? Do you understand what ambassadors do? Ambassadors take the authority that has been given to them by their leader to go and associate with those uh, who are not in the, the sphere of that leader to make, uh, to, to make alliances or, or and, 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 and other treaties and things of that nature. Uh, but we have Christ's authority as his ambassadors. So I want you to see, my brothers and sisters, I hope this sermon is helping you to see how important you are to the kingdom of God, how important you are to one another. This is particularly relevant for us in light of the pandemic, right? My brothers and sisters, I need you. You need me. We need one another. If we are going to effectively put our faith into actions, into action, we have to depend on one another to do that. And this don't mean that we're all going to be best friends. It doesn't mean that. I'm pretty sure. I, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm old enough. I've, I've lived long enough at this point. I'm not that old. I'm 32. <laughs> but I've lived long enough to understand that I can't be friends with everybody. But I also understand, been a, a Christian long enough to understand that there's no such thing as lone wolf Christianity not possible so my brothers and sisters i need to be able to rejoice with y'all i need to be able to weep with you all 
I need to be held accountable by you all. Because I need you. and You need me. There's a song that says that. And I used to have some trepidations about that song. But the season that we found ourselves in, in this country, has made me appreciate that song all the more. And it says, I need you. You need me. We are all a part of God's body. I'll pray for you. You pray for me. This is the reality of active faith. This is what James is calling the church to. Not just the people who were the immediate recipients of this letter, but to you and I, present day Christians as well. The Lord Jesus, using James as his agency, as his means, is calling the church to live out our faith. Embrace the indicative, my brothers and sisters, so that you can perform by God's spirit the imperative of the Christian faith. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I, I rejoice and thank you because your word is true. We need one another. There will be those of us who get tempted and, and, and pulled away by the cares of this world from the center of our faith. Lord, help us not to be quick to judge in those instances, but help us instead to understand the authority that you have meted out to us, that we can go and get our brother and our sister Lord, help us to understand that our supernatural ability is to pray to the sovereign God. Our supernatural ability is to snatch people from flames. Help us to live in light of what you have created us to be. We don't have to manufacture anything. We don't have to create anything. All we have to do is embrace. Help us to do that, Lord Jesus, by the power of your spirit. And we will be mindful to give you the glory, the honor, and the praise because you are the only one who is worthy of that. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that I do pray. Amen. All right, brothers and sisters.